Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> it's episode 30. <laughs> Gotta got have a number one hit over here. We're about to drop the hottest album of the year, y'all. Comes out December 31st, 29.99. It's called Rest in Peace. <laughs> Long for R.I.P. <laughs> oh, Anyways. Wow. I <laughs> welcome to episode 30, everybody. Here we are. We, we made it to 30. I know. Just like me. It? 30, I know. <laughs> Insane. Wild. It's just crazy how time has flown. Yeah. How are you, Austin? I am... I am good, given the, the cold, gloomy weather. Yeah, it's nasty out. It is. That's it's, for sure. I mean, the the white snow makes it a little prettier and a little, little yeah, more Yeah, at manageable. least now there's, like, some snow to go with the cold. It's not just fucking cold. Right. <laughs> how is Hannah... Oh, I'm just sleepy. That's all. Oh, not eepy? Um, I'm a little eepy. Okay. I I, like... <laughs> I did ask my, my lead at work yesterday um, what I had to punch to go take a nap. So, oh. like in the time clock, what did I, what, I was like, what do I punch so that I can go take a nap? That's funny. I mean, I've done it before. <laughs> Get an hour break and go sleep in my car. Oh, yeah. I've definitely, when I worked at the dealership, I would go out to my car and I would just sleep for a half an hour and then I'd go back in. Yeah, it's like, boom. Oh, different Those times. Little little power nap. I know. Now if I don't eat on my break, I'm like not gonna make it through the day. Well, yeah, <laughs> different. Yeah, different. T- uh, times are definitely different. Times are definitely different. So, I guess with that being said, we do have an announcement. We sure do. Uh, do, do you want to announce it? Yeah, I will. I will announce it. So. We are actually gonna take a little break here uh, from the bleeding grave for mm-hmm. a while. Um, We've decided our lives have just been a little too hectic, but that doesn't mean we're not going to still create content because here's some good news with a little silver lining. We are going to start the Bleeding Grave TikTok, so be on the lookout for that, and you'll see us in a couple months. Yeah, we're we're not going to give a date out quite yet because we haven't quite landed on one, but as soon as we know, we'll share that with you. But yeah, keep an eye out for the TikTok. We'll share some sound clips there. Um... If, you know, we have a little bit of extra time, we'll maybe make a couple videos about stuff. You know, all that good, great stuff. But, um, yeah, we just, we're working hard to find some balance in our lives, and we just need a little bit of extra time to get that kind of figured out and to get into our own rhythms again. Uh, And then we're going to find how this fits in and what that looks like. So we just want to say thank you to everybody for all of your support and everything. And as much as we didn't really want to take this break, I think it's just the logical thing for us to do. And so thank you in advance for bearing with us through this and for, you know, the times that we've skipped an episode here and there and everything. But we'll be back and hopefully better, you know, sooner than later, hopefully. But yeah. But with that, we do have a very exciting announcement, too. <laughs> we uh, we kind of fudged this one, but <laughs> we were interviewed again by Canvas Rebel, which is associated with uh, the Voyage magazine that interviewed us originally. And it came out about a month ago on December 11th. We'll link it in the episode description for this episode, and I think we've already posted about it on social media, at least. But just go ahead and check that out if you want. It was just fun to do the interview. It was a good excuse for me and Austin to go take some pictures and everything and have a little adventure. But I'm sorry, I've been talking for a minute. <laughs> do you do you want to add anything to that? 
<laughs> oh, Hannah, it's okay. Yes, um, with the uh, Canvas Rebel, it was fun getting interviewed again. The questions were more were a little more complex and not just like the usual like, "Who are you? What are you guys gonna do?" kind of deal. Yeah, it, it was more. I liked how they were like, "What challenges have you faced?" and everything. Yeah, they really made us think this time. They did, and I mean the pictures as well. That was that was fun going going down to Stillwater there and taking some mm-hmm. pictures. So. Um, if you saw two idiots out there at some point, that was probably out us. in a cemetery near a, near the Saint Croix River. That was oh yeah, we're out in the cemetery. <laughs> that was almost certainly us. Yep, um, that's just what we do. It's okay. We asked the ghosts gave they us did. permission. They, they were happy. Yeah, that we were, were like, there. Well, um, I didn't see any in the background pictures. I've looked I quite a few times. Yeah, I looked through the pictures and everything, and I we invited them to come and join the pictures, but I guess they didn't want to this time. No. Okay. A little camera shy, that's fine. That's okay, but they were very nice. They were very mm-hmm. welcoming. They were very excited that we were there. They were. Uh, but yes, to add, uh, the article is posted up on our social media, on our Facebook and our Instagram as of uh, today of this recording. So yeah, go guys, go check it out. And Yeah, I guess let's get let's get on with episode 30. Um, yeah. I think we have a good one for you this time. I'm going to send it off with something real good. Oh yeah, well, yeah, we'll give you guys a, like a cliffhanger. Yeah. You're going to be wanting more of us. We're a tease. Um, where's that quarter? Oh, gosh. I don't know. Did Christian pocket it? No. I was playing it with it in my last therapy session. It was like my like my, like my my worry stone. Um, who flipped last time? You or me? Uh, Christian did. Oh, that's right. <laughs> you okay. can flip this time. Okay. It is heads. Looks like I'm going first. Looks like you are going first. All right. So today I will be talking about the sick and twisted individual known as Madame Lalauri. <gasps> oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I requested this one. I'm so excited. Go ahead. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. I wanted to send it off good here. All right. So, she was born Mary Delphine McCarthy. There are some other sources that the last name was actually pronounced McCarty, but more often than not, I saw McCarthy. Um, But she would just go by Delphine at this time. And on March 19th... Oh, she was born on March 19th, (laughs) 1787, to... I'm going to butcher these French names, so I'm sorry. I have a French word in my story, too, that I'm probably going to butcher. Oh, nice. Uh... So she was born on March 19th, 1787 to Louise Bartholomew D. McCarthy and Marie-Jean Leherbe. I think I spell, I'm pronouncing that Leherbe right, because I looked it up. <laughs> I have no idea. So I, I th- I'm hoping so. And if I, if, I, if I don't, I am totally sorry. Is the, the dad's name Louise or is it Louis? Luis. Okay. It'd be Luis, yeah. L-O-U-I-S. Luis. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it'd be Luis. Or Louis. Louis. No, I think it's Luis. Okay. I want to say Luis. Okay. I mean, I only mentioned him once in the story, so... All right. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it doesn't matter. Go ahead. So, she was one of five children, uh, and not much else is known about her childhood. Uh, In 1791, when Delphine was four years old, the Haitian Revolution erupted. This was worrisome to Southerners that owned slaves as they were afraid of a rebellion. 
since there had been rebellions in the past. And during one of these rebellions, Delphine's uncle was attacked and killed by a group of slaves. Yeah. What did he do? He owned slaves. Okay, that's, yeah. I mean. Okay, yeah. <laughs> what other reason do they right. need? Right, <laughs> no, I wasn't sure if there was anything, like, more specific. Um, I mean, that's that's reason enough. Oh, yeah. The reason that's number under one. Underst- I understand. 100%. 100%. So we're going to fast forward into her adult life, which is, er- well, starts with her early teen years. When she was 13 years old of June 1800, she married Don Ramon Lopez, who was at that time a high-ranking Spanish royal officer. So this man's like 20, 30 years old, married to a 13-year-old. I just want to point that out. Is she? Is she? Mm-hmm. Is she? And he was the general of the Spanish territories of the Orleans. And in 1804, while Delphine and Don Ramon were on their way to Madrid, they stopped in Havana, Cuba, but they never left as uh, Don Ramon suddenly passed away. Sounds like it was due to an illness of some kind. Mm. There wasn't much known on that. Yeah. Uh, and a few days after he passed, uh, Delphine would give birth to a baby girl named Marie Borja. After giving birth, the now-widowed Delphine and her newborn baby returned to New Orleans. A few years passed. Delphine fell in love with another man named Jean Blanc. He was a prominent banker, merchant, lawyer, and legislator. A man of many hats, if you will. Wow. (laughs) Uh, Jeez, there's so many, like, weird um, synchronicities with our stories. Is there? Yeah. Interesting. You'll you'll see. I I, will all see. (laughs) So, in June 1808, they would marry and have four kids together. Ooh. And those kids' names were, because this is just, I think, a little ridiculous, but this during this time, uh, the kids' names were Marie, Louise, Pauline, and others was Louise Marie Lauer. Oh, wait, I'm sorry, that was one? That f- yeah, yeah, oh, sorry. Okay. So It so sounded the, like you were listing, okay. No, so the first, the first kid's name is Marie Louise Pauline. Okay. Their second kid is Louise Marie Lauer. Their third kid is Marie Louise Jean, uh, Jeanne. Uh, and the, and their fourth kid is Jean Pierre Pauline. Right, of course, because. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm okay. like, it's during this. I'm like, that that is the no, I'm not appropriate names for that time. But I just, it's just amazing to me. It's amazing, like. We don't name people like that anymore, really. No. No. <clears throat> no, there's not too many cultures that do, I think. I mean, there's still there's cultures that have very long names, but they don't go by those. Yeah. I mean, there are some cultures where people, siblings will have very similar names, and it's just traditional. See, um, that's that's the part that surprised me. I didn't realize that yeah, they there, would. Yeah, no, there are still some um, that do that. But... Uh, which honestly, admittedly, I also just learned very recently. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, but um, okay, wow. Though, but they were like lengthy names. Lengthy and they names. All yes. sounded very similar. V- and mm-hmm. Geez, I, I mean, my, me and my siblings' names aren't even similar. My mom still yells all three of them when she's yelling for one of us. Like, <laughs> she still just... gets us mixed up. <laughs> Hannah, Jake, J- da. Pretty much. <laughs> yep. That's been, like, a thing in our family the whole time. You yell every kid's name, except for the one that you're trying to yell. That one you yell last. (laughs) Whatever your name is, come here! (laughs) 
And after eight years of marriage and four kids later, Jeanne would die in 1816. So her second husband also died. So we're going to go into her third marriage here. And so sometime had passed after her second husband's death, and she would then meet a doctor by the name of Leonard Louis Nicolas Lalaurie. So now you can see where her last yeah, name's where, coming where from. Yeah, where the Lalori comes mm-hmm. from. Um, I'm surprised she she was able to remarry so many times. I mean, I know it was because they passed, but mm-hmm. like usually even just marrying a widow wasn't super desirable in that time. Right. I mean, especially now, like, she had four kids and then one with another. Yeah. So she has a total she of like five kids. Four, yeah, so she's got five kids and... She's been widowed twice, so I'm just I'm surprised she got married a third time, but good for her. Go. Good for her. And in June of 1825, they would get married. They had no kids together, but her kids from her previous marriages would stay with them. Mm-hmm. And in 1831, Delphine would go on to purchase a plot of land. And she was able to do this without much help from her husband, since during around this time, he always needed a man to be yeah, there to, for to, any kind of and, transactions. Yeah, to have his name mm-hmm. on it. And a year later, in 1832, the mansion would be completed. It was two stories and complete with an attached slave quarters. Of course. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So you got to have the slave quarters. Oh. Later that same year, their marriage started to show signs of strain, and Delphine wanted a divorce from her husband, claiming... He treated her in such a manner as to render their living together unsupportable. That's a very fancy way to say he fucked up. (laughs) Right. That's a very lengthy way to say he fucked up. (laughs) It's like a very professional way, too. Just like... It's very... It's flowery. Very flowery. (laughs) And the separation may not have gone as planned due to Leonard's scene coming and going from the mansion. Well, <laughs> so, now, as she is known as Madame Lalari, uh, she was seen as a highly respected member of the community. She would be happy and cheerful to everyone anytime while she was out with her slaves. Uh, she would always be nice and polite to them and the other slaves as well. She was even concerned when slaves' health was in decline. So in the public eye, uh, Madame Lalari is this great woman of wealth. Or so they thought. Dun, dun, dun. So starting in 1831, there were allegations made against the Lalori family for their treatment of slaves, as her slaves were observed to be singular, haggard, and wretched. Oh. Mm-hmm. As some po- reports would claim, Madame Lalori was very friendly out in public, but behind closed doors, she was a completely different person. She was a monster. Oh, ho, ho, ho. ooh. I didn't realize the half of it. You didn't? Ooh, like, I, I knew you... I knew a lot. But this was a fun I, one for this, you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, holy fuck. Okay. Yeah. It was very colorful. Mm-hmm. There were 12 registered deaths of slaves that happened on the property that they had record of. In what time frame? Uh, just the time just that they... Just the whole... The, high, the time that the mansion had been there. Okay. Mm-hmm. But no cause of death were reported because they were slaves. So there was, oh, yep, there's they're very, so that's why, like, 12 reported or 12 registered deaths, that seems pretty low, given this lady. He, mm, yeah. 
but we're going to get into it. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> <laughs> there are some reports that claim that they died from infectious disease since they lived in such close quarters as well. So that Actually, I can believe probably wasn't that. wrong for some of them. So for some, yeah. There are, however, court documents showing LaLaurie freed two slaves, one in 1819 and another in 1832. There was, I couldn't find any reason as to why she freed him. Hmm. But, I mean, maybe to make her look better? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But even with that, claims of slaves being mistreated were widespread enough in New Orleans to get the attention of a local lawyer. The lawyer went to go check on the property and found no evidence of mistreatment of the slaves and just gave uh, Madame Lalari a reminder of the laws of upkeeping of slaves. Mm. Which is disgusting in itself that they have laws of upkeeping of slaves. Yeah. Like, while they were probably necessary, the laws probably still weren't that great surrounding no. it. They were no. probably still complete garbage. Because, I mean, the law is that you can own another human, so, like, that's already not a great place to start. Nope. But different time. Different different time, unfortunately. Awful time. Awful time. But these claims were still too widespread, so the Lalari family went under investigation. And during this investigation, it was found that, yes, in fact, the Lalaris were mistreating their slaves and were forced to forfeit nine of them. Just nine? Just nine. But after the investigation was over, Madame LaLaurie was able to get her nine slaves back by a loophole because they were bought by a relative of hers and then sold back to Madame LaLaurie. Excuse me? Mm-hmm. And the police turned a blind eye to that as well. Okay. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. I found that one very... I'm like, whoa. That one's... That's a problem. That's, <laughs> that's a just a drop in the bucket compared to what's going to be happening. Oh, no. I, yeah. <laughs> yep. I'm waiting for it. I'm just waiting for it. So I found uh, I found a few stories that were mostly complete and had some eyewitness accounts. Uh, so the first one being the lawyer that visited a neighbor uh, to go interview him saw a young girl jump to her death from the roof. Um, yeah. And wasn't Madame Lori chasing her? So... This is, this is what happened. Okay. The story goes, 12-year-old Leah was brushing Madame LaLaurie's hair, and the brush got stuck and pulled on her hair. Oh, that's right. And this angered her as her head was being pulled back. She was so scared of LaLaurie's punishments, and this was usually by whipping. Leah got on the roof and jumped to her death. And the neighbors saw them pick the girl up, take her to the back grounds, and bury her. That is terrible. Mm -hmm. That is awful. Mm -hmm. The second story being a slave was being very disobedient to the madam and jumped out a third story window to his death instead of being punished. The window was not replaced and it was rather cemented shut and it still can be seen to this day. And I didn't know that and I was in New Orleans to, uh, two years ago. Yeah. And I was wondering why one of the windows were cemented. Oh, I didn't God. make the connection until I was doing this. Oh, God. I bet that moment when you realized you were like, oh, shit. <laughs> it makes... I was like, oh. Oh. Crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. Right? Ooh. So we're going to fast forward to April 10th, 1834. 
A fire broke out at the mansion, and when police and firefighters arrived, they found a fire coming from the kitchen. Once inside the kitchen, they found a 70-year-old slave woman chained to the stove. Once the fire was out and the woman was safe, she explains that it was a suicide attempt, as she feared being punished and went on to say the reason that the slaves were being taken to the uppermost room of the mansion, and they never came back. Yeah, I was gonna say, didn't she just have, like, wasn't she just always bringing home slaves and people were like, where mm-hmm. are they? Mm-hmm. Like, it was this big mystery. Exactly, yeah. You could always, the slaves were always coming in, but you never... They were never going out. Mm-mm. And before and while this was happening, bystanders were trying to help and get everyone out of the mansion. But what was odd is while everyone was racing towards the mansion, they found Madame Lori on the steps outside alone and not allowing anyone in. So as the fire department was handling the fire in the kitchen, the mob of people pushed past LaLaurie and broke down the door. And they were not prepared as to the horrors they would find. Oh, yeah. They got everyone out that they could find, and the fire now being out, and no other family members or slaves uh, were found, they started searching the mansion. And here are some of the things that they found. When they entered the room, they found a woman wearing an iron collar, another woman with a head wound and she could barely walk, at least seven slaves mutilated horribly and suspended by their necks with their arms and legs stretched and torn and looked like they had been there for some months. Other slaves found beaten and bloody within inches of their life with their eyes gouged out, skin flayed, mouths filled with excrement and sewn shut. Also, found was a woman whose bones were broken and reset so she would resemble a crab. (gasps) Mm Mm-hmm. I don't remember that one. I didn't hear that one, but I I found a few places where it it was mentioned and... Oh, man. It wouldn't surprise me. Because remember, he, uh, she has a husband of a doctor, a doctor of a husband. So, another woman with her intestines pulled out and wrapped around her waist, and others were found with holes drilled into their heads and a wooden spoon near them with brain matter on the handle portion, suggesting that the wooden spoons were used to scramble their brains. There were some... Just keep going. Just, just let's get through it. Let's just get through it. It's so bad. It's so bad. There were some claims that Madame LaLaurie had secret slaves, as she would keep these slaves alive for her doctor husband, Leonard, and he would practice Haitian voodoo medicine on them. Okay, that makes it sound scarier. That makes... That makes Haitian voodoo medicine sound a lot scarier than it is. It's not. I <laughs> just want to throw that out there. It's it's essentially like a type of folk medicine. So after all this discovery, when Leonard was questioned about the slaves, he had this to say. Some people had better stay home rather than come to others' houses to dictate laws and meddle with other people's business. Hmm. Did um sorry, before you keep going, didn't mm-hmm. they also find like multiple slaves with wounds that had like maggots in them? Oh yeah. Stuff? Yeah, like it was it was bad. Like it wasn't just that there was wounds, there was maggots and awful infections and mm-hmm. terrible things. There were there has also been some claims that Madame Lari 
was practicing some kind of witchcraft and trying to make animal-human hybrids. But that seemed more dramatized for, like, TV is from yeah. what I could find. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. That sounds like a drama dramatization. I think she was just a horribly deranged person. Oh, yeah. 100%. Once the mansion was cleared and the slaves were leaving, you could see how savagely beaten they were. Back shredded from whipping, their bodies were restricted in positions from the beatings, and spike collars kept their heads in a static position. You okay over there? Yeah. yeah. Okay, just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> so once word got out about how Madame LaLaurie actually treated her slaves, a mob of about 4,000 people went to her mansion. Once there, the mob would demolish and destroy everything that they could get their hands on. The sheriff's department was called to handle the mob, but by the time they got there, the mob had cleared out. It's and, like really saying something in the South that a mob showed up because of the treatment of slaves. Mm-hmm. It's really saying something. Right. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, that's that's community coming that's, together. Yeah, though. that's something. <laughs> and doing what's right. Yeah, no, truly, doing what's right. I mean, destroying somebody's property, but at the same time, it is a symbol of evil. I mean, it, so it's, it's understandable. It's retaliation mm-hmm. towards something bad, so... Right, exactly. Uh, and they were true to their word. They destroyed everything in the mansion and around the property. Broken windows, tearing down doors, ransacking everything. A neighbor who was interviewed said there was barely anything left standing except the walls. Hmm. And as for the slaves, they were taken to the local jail and put on display to show their suffering so that everyone could know what happened. Of course. Of course. Why Why would we help them? Let's put them on display. Yeah. But it's just, it's heartbreaking that, like, they... I get the idea behind it, but at the same time, those people need medical attention they need ASAP. Med- yeah. Not that medical stuff was great at that time, but they did need medical attention, and instead people just chose to put them on display. Mm-hmm. And probably made money off of it. God, I hope not. But at the same time, it wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. So, maybe wondering what happened to Madame Lalari during all this. So, sometime during the fire, she escaped, and she would find herself living in Paris with her mother and two sisters. Isn't that just nice? Mm-hmm. That's so lovely. Some say Lalari didn't stay in Paris very long and came back to New Orleans under a new name and to continue her reign of terror. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I feel like that's more like, oh my god, she's gonna be back, like a boogeyman right, like, story. Ooh, she's back. <laughs> like... They're here. Right. <laughs> Another source reported that in 1888, Lalari died in a boar hunting accident. Uh, there are records in Paris that show Lalari had died in 1849. Huh. So there's, there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of miscommunication. Yeah, conflicting mis- records. Yes, exactly. A lot yeah. of conflicting records. There's something odd I found was that in late 1930, in a New Orleans uh, St. Louis cemetery, a copper plate was found and inscripted on it was Madame Lalaurie, born Marie Delphine McCarthy, died in Paris December 7th, 1842. Hmm. So that would be seven years before. She died on Paris uh, within the with the records of the Paris uh, Paris government has. Yeah. So it's like there's just so many conflicting things and interesting to this day no one knows for sure exactly what happened to Madame Lalaurie. Yeah. And her body has never been discovered either. 
Interesting. Mm -hmm. Huh. Wow. So that is the sick and twisted Madame Laurie. Yes. Yeah. No, thank you for covering that. Yeah, that was was a fun one. It's a crazy one. For sure. It really is. I've got a good one for you today, too. Let's... we're doing what you were saying before we started, yeah, you have a really good one. I'm, I'm really excited. We're going to do a lot of learning. So we're going to Scotland. We're going to the Greyfriars Kirkyard. All right. So Greyfriars Kirkyard is a graveyard that surrounds the Greyfriars Kirk, which is a church in Edinburgh, Scotland. Mm-hmm. So it is on the southern edge of Old Town, and the burials have been happening there since the late 1500s. It's named for the Franciscan friary that was once on the site, as the friars wore gray habits or robes. Gray friars. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, and a kirk is basically like old Scottish Gaelic for church. Oh. So, kirkyard, churchyard. The churchyard was founded in 1562 to replace the burial ground of St. Giles Cathedral, which was also in Edinburgh. This graveyard had been the like main graveyard of Edinburgh. And the reason that it needed to be replaced was because it was so overcrowded and there was absolutely no room for more bodies. And in the summer heat, it would make the surrounding area, which was essentially Main Street at the time, just reek. Oh, I bet. Yeah. They probably didn't bury them as deep as... They just made room. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, uh... Later in 1602, the construction of the church started, that was going to then be um, at Greyfriars, um, and that lasted, the construction lasted until 1620. So Greyfriars Kirkyard has a pretty significant history. It was an important part of the Covenanters' history. Uh, The Covenanters were members of a religious and a political movement in Scotland in the 17th century, and they supported the Presbyterian Church of Scotland, Uh, and their name comes from the word covenant, meaning an agreement with God. So the National Covenant was signed in the Kirkyard in 1628, and this was a big moment for religious freedom in Scotland, as King Charles I was proposing reforms to the Church of Scotland that Scotland didn't want. Basically, he was like a little, a little too Catholic-leaning for their tasting, was my understanding. Um, yeah, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, and um it was either him or his son believed that he should be the head of church where scotland believed that jesus was the head of church which i think that's fair so right so um the national covenant was an agreement that many people of scotland signed to oppose the changes that the crown was trying to impose and king charles saw this as a rebellion and ultimately this led to the bishop's war which was the first in a series of wars known as the wars of three kingdoms or the british civil wars so I tried to summarize that without getting into the whole history of the crown, but... <laughs> yeah, I did not know that they had British Civil Wars. Yep. I mean, it, it doesn't I've surprise me, but... I've heard of just... them in passing, but I don't know anything about it. Well, I know this much about it. <laughs> well, we both know this much about it. So now I'm going to tell you about Sir George Mackenzie, whose Twitter bio was probably Scottish lawyer, Lord Advocate, essayist, and legal writer. Oh, also a man of many hats. Right, a man of many hats. So... I think we can figure out most of those, but for those who don't know, a Lord Advocate is basically like the legal advisor for the Crown and the Government of Scotland. Mm. Um, And he was also in charge of basically making sure certain rules and things were followed and like executing certain orders. So he was born in Dundee, Scotland in the 1630s. Don't really know the year. Mm -hmm. 
but he was also highly educated, having attended King's College, University of Aberdeen, the University of St. Andrews, and the University of Bourges in France. Yes, Austin. There's a King College? Yeah. There's an actual college you go to be a king? No. It's called King's College. <laughs> okay. That makes more sense. I'm oh like, my gosh, wait, there's no. schools back then to teach you how to be a king? No, it was called, it's called King's College, and I'm pretty sure it's still around. Don't quote me on that, but it might be. We'll look that up after the show. Oh, yeah. So. But that's, okay. So very, uh, very astute. Yes. Very well educated. Very smart man. He uh, went on to have a legal career, and he even defended a woman named Mavia, who was being charged as a witch. Oh. Um, he actually thought that the witch trials were ridiculous during the mass hysteria in the 1600s. He believed that witches were not as common as everyone thought, and that most of the accused were just harmless old women. You think? Which, I mean, he really wasn't wrong. Um, yeah. However. Oh, there is a however. While... While he was a strong believer in using torture to get confessions out of people, and he was very proud that it was legal in Scotland, he thought that it was a bit much and very unfair in the witch trials. So it's okay for some, but not for others? I Talk about a just, double standard. Like, he was, like, he had us there for a second with being like, the witch trials are dumb, and we're like, yup, 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 and yep. then he's like, and torture shouldn't be used for it, and we're like, yeah, and he's like, it should be used for other things, though. <laughs> Hold on, wait a minute. <laughs> I, Sir. I do have a quick fact on torture, though. Okay. There's plenty of, there's now plenty of uh, studies shown that torture doesn't actually get true confessions out of people. No, they'll just, it just no, that's pretty obvious. They'll just mm -hmm. say what they want to get out of it, mm -hmm. to exactly. make it stop, which is why it works, why why people think it works, because they get, they get the information that they want, not necessarily the truth. No, yeah, they get the, they're like, you did it, didn't you? Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, I did it, just so this torture will end. Basically. So, as Lord Advocate for King Charles II, George Mackenzie imprisoned around 1,200 Covenanters in the field next to Greyfriars Kirkyard in what's been described as the first documented concentration camp. Oh my god, it was... Wow, I would not expect that to be in UK. Or, I mean, Scotland. In Scotland, yeah. it was. Oh, my God. Yep, so the first documented concentration camp. Heck, okay. <laughs> yep, so around 3,000 Covenanters had been captured after the Battle of Bothwell Bridge, and many of them were executed, some were dispersed into prisons, a lot of them were tortured publicly, and very oh. few were let free. The remaining people that were imprisoned at the Kirkyard, um, they were left outside in winter. Uh, with absolutely no shelter, hardly any food or water, and most of them died from exposure to the elements, starvation, or disease, which was most prominently the plague, the Black Death. Also, the only, only chance to get out of there basically was signing a contract with the king saying that they were giving up being, like, Presbyterian, and that, like, they were basically giving up their belief system. That was the only way they were allowed to leave. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's a lot to take in. That's heavy. <laughs> That's some shit. That's some oh shit. Oh my god. And when they did die at the camp in this field, many of them were just buried right where they lay. They didn't even dig a hole. They just covered them with dirt. 
and that was it. Even kind of with, with dirt, that's more than I would expect them to do. I think they just leave them. Yeah, so um, eventually the last few hundred Covenanters were put on a ship to be sold into slavery, but the ship sank in a storm not long after it took off. Son of a bitch. So basically, a majority of them died. I think I heard that only maybe 50 or 60 of them survived the ship. Wow. Yeah. Mackenzie is estimated to have the blood of nearly 18,000 Covenanters on his hands. And once the throne was held by a Protestant king again, Mackenzie dodged the consequences of his actions by simply retiring. Okay, who's the dumb fuck that put that loophole in? I don't know. I don't know why it was that easy, but it was. Basically, yeah, the the throne the throne changed hands like a few times very quickly and like the last time Mackenzie knew that the king was like that was a problem and he was like I'm just going to retire. Like here's my paperwork. Um Mackenzie then died in 1691 and he was put to rest in what's known as the Black Mausoleum inside Greyfriars Kirkyard just yards away from the Covenanters prison where so many lives had been taken due to him. Now the really ironic part is that the part of the graveyard that this mausoleum is in actually from my understanding used to be the field where this camp had oh been. Oh my god. So Wow, okay. Yeah, and a lot of people are like, why would they bury him there? He, I'm pretty sure he died in London, too, and everything, but he was from oh, Scotland. Right. Everybody's like, why did they put him there? But the thing is, is that at that point, Greyfriars Kirkyard was the, if you lived in Edinburgh, that's where you were buried, especially if you were high up in society, which he was. <laughs> so, that's why. So his actions as Lord Advocate are what earned him the nickname Bloody Mackenzie. Ah, I've heard that name before. You have heard that name before. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I was going to say, you might be wondering why I'm telling you all of this. Yeah. Right? Well, today he's best known as the poltergeist that haunts Greyfriars Kirkyard. Okay. <laughs> all right. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I'm excited. Around the time of his burial... It was said that Mackenzie's coffin would move around on its own, Ick. likely due to his displeasure with being put to rest so near the, where the Covenanters were kept prisoner. I, mm, no. Can you imagine you just hear scraping around in a mausoleum and like every time you go and look, the coffin's in a different spot? I'd nope right out of there. Oh my goodness. Mm -mm, and for, for hundreds of years, children have crept up to the mausoleum to recite the rhyme to bring forth the spirit of Mackenzie. Now, the rhyme is literally always written in what I have to assume is the way you pronounce it with a Scottish accent, but I can't do accents, so here we go. All right. Bloody Mackenzie, come out if ye dar. <laughs> Draw the snack and lift the bar. <laughs> I mean, that wasn't half bad, Hannah. I, I it wasn't, that wasn't half bad. It's literally, that's literally how it's written out. And that's, that's how it's always written out everywhere. I couldn't find it just as regular English. <laughs> I love Scottish English so much. So, even with this rhyme that people were reciting for him for hundreds of years, he seemed to rest in peace for, like, over 300 years. Until one night in 1998. It's oddly specific. <laughs> yep. So, on a night with particularly nasty weather, like rain and snow, mm -hmm. 
A homeless man made his way into the black mausoleum looking for shelter. Most people think that chances are it's because it's one of the few mausoleums that the roof is still very intact. Gotcha. Okay? Because it's obviously very old. He went down to the second chamber where the coffins are kept. So there's like some stairs that go down. And apparently he decided to start breaking the coffins open to see if there was anything valuable inside. Mistake number one, my friend. As he was doing this, the floor gave way and he fell into a third, previously unknown chamber below the crypt. What? When he fell through, he found himself amongst the bodies of plague victims that had been illegally dumped there, that over 300 years later were still in a state of decay due to how well the chamber had been sealed. Uh, the smell. Yep. So he's, The slop. The sm- yep. The, yeah. So he <laughs> scrambled right out of there and took off. And some poor night guard and his dog spotted this man, dirty, covered in dust and death slime and blood because he cut his head on the way out the door. Oh my God. Running and yelling out of what is likely the most notorious crypt in the cemetery. So the guard and the dog turned and also booked it right out of there. A shitty, shitty episode of Scooby-Doo. So the guard comes into work the next day oh, and yeah. is like, you guys are never going to believe this shit and tells the story and turns in his resignation. <laughs> Which I don't, I don't, I don't blame I, him. No, I don't blame him at all. God. So, I would have too. <laughs> yeah, y'all fuckers can have this job. So since then, there has been hundreds of reported cases of paranormal activity probably like as of 2012 i think it was over 450 cases reported cases um so probably more now of unexplained activity related to the mausoleum and often attributed to the mackenzie poltergeist the day following the intrusion a woman was peering through the grates of the mausoleum door and was blasted back off its steps by a cold force that was a quote blasted off its steps by a cold force I'm just... Wow, okay. I don't even know how to comprehend that no. one. That sounds awful. Not long after, another woman was found laying on the ground near the tomb with heavy bruising around her neck, and she said, quote, that invisible hands had tried to strangle her. Could that feel... Oh, that would be disgusting that would feeling. would be awful. And there was a similar story that also happened with a young man, um, and he was found lying, like, opposite of the tomb. Jeez. All right. Mm -hmm. So soon after all of this, the city council had enough, and they locked the mausoleum, stating that only those with express permission could have access to it. And apparently, like, the hole is still there from where Homeboy fell through the floor. Oh. Yeah. Like, literally nobody knew that chamber was there. Like, plague bodies had been illegally dumped there. And then the mausoleum was built on top. But the smell as well coming out through the hole then? But it was sealed, remember? It was sealed so well that the bodies were still in a state of decay, so once it opened... That's what I'm saying. I think they got the bodies out of there. Oh, okay. I have to imagine they did. Because I could, if you were going in there and just smelling dead body smell all the time. No, yeah, I'm pretty sure they got the bodies out of there. Okay, Um, all right. Because, especially because um, a local author, J.A. Henderson, asked the council for permission to use the mausoleum for controlled tours. So I'm going to guess they had to get the bodies out of there. Yeah, It was probably, probably like, a a safety concern. 
Yeah. So now the City of the Dead Tours has nearly exclusive access to give tours and paranormal activity has gone up drastically. Let's give them a show, folks. <laughs> but even even with all of this, people have not learned from this. So in 2003, some teenagers broke into the mausoleum and Mackenzie's coffin and cut off his head and ran around the kirkyard using it like a hand puppet. Ick. And then they were spotted by a tour group headed to the mausoleum, and by the time police got there, they were playing football with it. So in the end, the boys, who were 17 and 15, were charged with the now-ancient law of violation of sepulcher, which was put in place in the 18th century during the height of resurrection men in Scotland. So, like, Burke and Hare. Ah, okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was when... Um, basically resurrection men were body snatchers who were stealing bodies to bring to the medical schools and getting paid by students and professors because they needed cadavers. They needed fresh cadavers to teach one. And like one of us will, once we come back at some point, cover Burke and Hare because that story is fascinating. But yeah, so very old law. (laughs) One of their lawyers described having to literally dust off the book from the library outlining the law. Uh, in most cases of the crime, the sentence was jail and hard labor, but in aggravated cases such as this, the sentence would be execution or transportation, which was basically like a fancy world, I shouldn't say fancy, a different way of saying exile. Mm, okay. So while the judge called the crime revolting, the boys got off with probation for their actions. That's it? Mm-hmm. Disgusting. Um, but this was the first case of violation of sepulcher in over a hundred years and they had to probably dust those books off to figure out that law (laughs) exactly well literally like that like i said the lawyer described like he had to like go to the library and like pull this book down and it was covered in dust and he had to cover it he had to dust it off jesus so the activity at the black mausoleum is described as quote startlingly frequent in occurrence often severe and very well documented which is a stark contrast to many other locations that are claimed to be haunted when you think about it yeah 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 of the 450 reported attacks around 180 people have lost consciousness while in the mausoleum or at the mausoleum that's too many to be a coincidence. Yes. There's very weird cold spots. Um, unexplainable fires have broken out, and an unusually high number of dead animals are found within the immediate area of the vault. And I was listening I was listening to one podcast, I think it was Astonishing Legends, and they were talking about how there was a guard or a groundskeeper or something who oh no, I'm sorry, it was a tour guide who had been it in the graveyard and they noticed they noticed a bird like standing on the steps of the mausoleum just staring into it just like zoned out staring into the mausoleum and the bird was so honed in on whatever it was that like the tour guide was able to get super close and everything and like the bird didn't notice him didn't care whatever he finally gave up he left and he came back the next day and the bird was dead on the steps in the same exact spot it was mm-hmm. oy vey yeah yeah so people have their hair pulled or have described a feeling of being punched or kicked and some has some have even had their fingers broken no 
which okay think about oh. this because people, so there's some argument about who the poltergeist actually is i think it's george mckenzie and part of that is because of like this weird stuff like fingers being broken and stuff like that because that sounds like something you would do when you're torturing somebody exactly you got 10 chances to to tell me what i want to hear I was going to say, let's go, Hannah, but I don't want to be standing there looking at his coffin and my pinkies get snapped. We're going. Like a, like we're, a carrot. We're still going. You're paying my medical bill. Um, yeah, so broken fingies. Um, numbness, nausea, and unexplainable cuts, scratches, bruises, and burns have all been reported and documented. Sometimes the injuries happen on the spot. Most of the time, it's not until after they've left. Some injuries will last for weeks or months or leave scars, and others will disappear without a trace as quickly as they appeared. Yeah. I can't wrap my head around the get a scratch, get like a cut or something, and then you, then you look back and it's not there. Right, it's like... What? I, I like imagine people, like, they described a lot of time people like get back to their hotel room and then they've got like this burn, this scratch, or this like gouge out of their skin or something like that. And I'm imagining they're, like, noticing it, and they're like, what? Oh, my God, like, somebody come here, I need help with this. And then the other person comes, and it's gone. Like, that's what I imagine. I don't know if that's happened, but that's how it's going on in my head. It's like Mackenzie's implanting something in your head. It's weird. Showing you can only see it. So cameras and other electrical things malfunction when near the mausoleum. Some people have reported any number of these things following them home and having electrical things and appliances. They'll, like, turn themselves on and off, and light bulbs will blow for seemingly no reason. Many times people on tour or even the whole group will experience or see the same thing. Um, And I heard that another really common thing that happens with these tour groups is that, like, walking up, um, sometimes, like half of the group will see or hear one thing and the other half of the group will see or hear another thing. But everybody heard something or saw something. Which I think is really interesting because one time when I was at Glensheen Mansion, I was in a I was in a tour group. Was, me and somebody else had gone together and I would say there's probably no more than like eight, nine of us, probably not even with the tour guide. And we were in the butler's pantry area. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of toward the back of the group, and I thought I heard somebody talking, like, out around the corner, and I thought it was another tour group, and I turned around to look, and when I turned back to face the tour guide, everybody was looking at me, and they were like, what was that? And I was like, huh? And the person I was with was like, what did you say? I was like, I didn't say anything. I heard somebody talking out there, and there wasn't a tour group out there. Oh, my God. We were the, I think we were the only tour group in the whole house. Oh. Yeah, so, like, everybody thought that I had said something, but I heard it come from out and around the corner. Do you know, do you kind of recall what you heard, or? No, it was just like a... It was like more murmuring. It was kind of more of like a, when you first kind of hear somebody, like, coming into a room and they're talking, like, Ah, I didn't quite hear it exactly. Like, it trails in? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So. uh, Freaky. I know. It was weird. Oh. So the company that runs the tours keeps extensive records and photographs of all of the unexplained injuries as well, which I think is really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, a strong scent of smelling salts and sulfur have both been reported near the tomb. Oof, sulfur. Both the sounds of laughing and growling have been heard. <laughs> and knocking is really common, too. One person described how 
shortly after entering the mausoleum, the group started hearing knocking coming from below them. Ick. And then it started moving up and around the walls. No thanks. Like, ugh. Awful. Poltergeist uh, raccoon over here. So two unsuccessful exorcisms have taken place at the mausoleum and the kirkyard. Um, And things pretty much remain the same. And one of them in particular, I believe the... If if I'm remembering the story correctly, I believe the man who's performing the exorcism had gone around most of the graveyard and everything, and he got to the mausoleum. It was, like, his the last bit that he was supposed to do. And he, like, looked at it for a while, and he turned around and basically said that he was done for the night because he knew that that would kill him. Two months later, he passed away. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Coincidence? Or did the poltergeist get him? <laughs> so, the author I mentioned earlier, J.A. Anderson... Mm-hmm. Uh, has said, I am a very scientific person, and I don't know if I believe in ghosts or not, but I just don't have an explanation for the sheer number of people who have collapsed, had their fingers broken, or whatever. I've even had phone calls from two people who say that their partner has now been committed and blame it on the ghost. My God. Yeah. And he's also the one who owns the tour company, as far as is my understanding. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, the activity doesn't just stop at the graveyard, either. Residents in multiple houses that border the graveyard have reported unexplained fires, dishes smashing, and objects moving or disappearing and reappearing. So, normal poltergeisty shit. Right, normal poltergeisty shit. And in 2003, Henderson's home and the tour company's office were destroyed by a fire that the insurance company could not find a cause for. And Henderson said that he lost, quote, five years worth of letters, photographs, records, and statements concerning the Mackenzie poltergeist, as well as every possession he had in the world, and none of the surrounding properties were damaged. Mackenzie. So, some interesting things I want to note about the Mackenzie poltergeist. Most poltergeist cases don't last more than a year. Well, whatever in the, is in the Black Museum has been instilling fear for at least two decades. Wow. And also, usually with, like, poltergeist cases, they tend to, like we talked about in the poltergeist episode, they tend to target one person. But this is just, like, it's, like, almost anybody. They'll, they'll go after. Which I think is really interesting and weird and terrifying. Yeah. And many people have said that if the Mackenzie poltergeist isn't real, then no ghost is. Like that's that's valid. That's right. very valid. With how well documented everything is. Yeah. And yeah, so And how it just it kept happening so frequently too. I know. Wow. Like it's just it's all the time. Yeah. So some other facts about the Kirkyard. Um, apparently JK Rowling took uh, some inspiration for characters' names of Harry Potter from this graveyard. There was somebody named McGonagall who was like actually a very big person in their time there, but also there's a headstone with the name Thomas Riddle on it. Oh, okay. And apparently, I don't know, apparently she used to write at a cafe near-ish, like within walking distance from there, but there's that, but I've got more. Ooh. So in 1562, when the Kirkyard was established as a graveyard, topographically the land was a depression that sank about 20 feet or so. Now it's a hill that rises around 15 feet due to the 
500,000 recorded burials that have taken place there. That's a lot. Well, the plague. Well, yeah, yeah, but cheese. Um, There's so many bodies that if it rains enough, bones start surfacing from the ground. Ick. And it's not uncommon to be able to spot femurs poking out of the ground around the graveyard. Just, just walking around. Oh, there's a femur. Great. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I would probably trip over one and be like, "What did I hit?" And then I'd be like, "Oh my god, it is somebody's femur." So that is the Greyfriars Kirkyard and the Mackenzie Poltergeist. When are we going? When we can afford to go across the pond. Right. <laughs> So yeah, I wanted I wanted a good spooky story. I that was a really good spooky story. Thank you. Wasn't it such a good one? It was a really oh, good one. I I was gonna do the Mackenzie Poltergeist a while ago, but I was like, there's too much information, and my brain was not working well enough. Mm-hmm. And I just decided this week, I was like, you know what? We're just we're gonna do it. So I probably put a total of like eight hours into these notes. Nice. But yeah. Very nice. It shows. It was good. Thank you. It was very detailed. Thank you. Well, I wanted, because, like, there were so many things I could just, like, brush over it and be like, yeah, like, this happened and this happened and, like, Mm -hmm. not explain it. But I also wanted to try to make it as concise as I could because, like I said, very easily could have just gotten into the full history of the crown of the UK. (laughs) Right. Like... I had to have Christian double check my notes <laughs> because he's he's very good with history and I was like I need you to just like make sure that I'm not completely saying the wrong thing. <laughs> he said it was good, so if I was wrong with anything, blame it on Christian. Um, well, get the Christian seal of approval. Yeah. So, with that, my cemetery fun fact is actually also about Greyfriars, but right. it's but it's still a cemetery fun fact. It is. Like, <laughs> Just, it's all connected. It's all connected. So we're going to talk about Greyfriars Bobby. Bobby, huh? Mm-hmm. All right. Bobby was a terrier that belonged to a night watchman <gasps> for the Edinburgh police named John Gray. And when Gray passed away, Bobby became well-known locally as he spent the next 14 years of his life guarding the grave of his owner in Greyfriars Kirkyard until he passed away in 1872. We don't deserve dogs. <laughs> In 1867, Sir William Chambers, who was the director of the Scottish Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and also held a local position of authority, paid for Bobby's license and gave the dog a collar, which is now in the Museum of Edinburgh. I love that. Bobby was buried just inside the gate of the kirkyard, not far from his owner, and later an English philanthropist, Lady Burdett Coutts, heard the story and loved it so much that she put up a drinking fountain just opposite the gates of the kirkyard and topped it with a statue of Bobby, which locally is what the kirkyard is most known for. Apparently when you talk to locals and you ask them about the kirkyard and what they think of, they think of Bobby. And his little nose on the statue is turned gold. It's actually, you're not supposed to touch it anymore because it's wearing it away. But people mm-hmm. pet his little nose so much Aww. that it's worn away. <laughs> Even the afterlife, the goodest boy gets all the pets. Gets all the pets. So I wanted to end on a more heartwarming note. <laughs> that was very heart- that, that was very nice. Very heartwarming. Yes, because both of our stories are very dark. <laughs> very but yeah, I think with that we're pretty much at the end of episode thirty. Um, we're not gonna do an auditorium this time, uh, just because we have a few things that we need to take care of before we start our little break. I am gonna go on Patreon and try to find a way to um, make it so our subscribers don't have to pay for the next couple of months because we're not gonna be creating content there. 
um, and we don't want to take your money for nothing, so I will deal with that, but, um, yeah, thank you again to everybody who has been listening and supporting us, and, uh, we can't wait to get back into it once we, once we do, but thank you again for bearing with us, and... Yeah, I think I think that's what we've got. Yeah, again, you will still see content from us, so keep an eye on our Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, social uh, media for these content next few, uh, next few months. But we will not be recording any new episodes for the next few months. But you will still get to see you'll you'll still get to see us. Yeah, and keep an eye out for um, our TikTok and everything too, too. Once yeah. we get that up and running, we should be doing that soon. But until next time, you guys take take care of yourselves. Yeah, we're the, that's what we're doing. You guys take care of yourselves too, and we will see you on episode thirty-one. Bigger, badder, and more funny, maybe. More funny, maybe. Better prepared, hopefully. <laughs> we're gonna kick some ass when we come back. Yeah, we're gonna it. we're gonna try to come back strong and with a vengeance. So. Exactly the sequel. It's 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 coming for you guys. <laughs> All right, until then. Bye. bye. The Bleeding Grave is hosted by Hannah Slavic and Austin Winger. Music by Hannah Slavic. You can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can listen to The Bleeding Grave on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and more. <laughs>